0: Well that song is great preparation for us for what we're going to discuss this morning uh, because this morning we're talking about the church. You can open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 1, that's where we'll start, 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 through 3. If you visit churches, you'll find they're different. One church is different than the next. Some of that's stylistic, Uh, some of that's the language we speak, some of that's the shape of the room, the arrangement of the furniture, the style of the music. And then some of it's more substantive. Some of it has to do with core convictions about what the church actually is and what we're actually doing here. And those substantive differences come from different philosophies as to even how we determine what the church is and what it's supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing here. Some people come at that question from a pragmatic approach and they'll ask, well, maybe we should decide what the church is and what the church does based on what's uh, convenient, uh, based on what works, what gets people in the door. Their services tend to reflect that. Some folks come at it from a traditionalist approach and they'll say, "Uh, well, we should should structure what we do as a church and who we are uh, based on what we've always done. Right. And that that's sort of the, the, the gospel right, of what the, the church actually is. Um, and as a church, I, I hope we'll reject both of those approaches. <laughs> both the pragmatic approach on the one hand and the traditionalist approach on the one hand. Neither is an infallible authority. What is our infallible authority in terms of what the church is and what we're supposed to do? It's the word of God. right? That we believe that Jesus actually has a design for the church, Jesus has a design for the church that He has a, a, a way in which He's structured the church is supposed to live. There's a lot of freedom within that in terms of different churches. Like you could have two churches following the mission of Jesus, following His design for the church that look very different in two very different places. But the, the core things, the essential things are shared. And, and what I hope we'll see this morning is those essential things that Jesus lays out in, in the Word as to what a church actually is, what we're meant to do, what holds it together. Uh, And we're gonna see that through the lens of our statement of faith. So we're moving through our proposed statement of faith as a church, this is a draft statement uh, that we're hoping at some point to adopt as a church, as our own. So you'll find a copy of the section we're looking at inside your bulletin, so this is on the the bulletin insert. And uh, what we'll do basically is move through this section and compare it to scripture say, is this what the word of God teaches? And I think we'll see that it, that it does. Well, I'd like to begin by reading just the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 1, and then we'll pray God's blessing over our time together. 1 Corinthians 1 and beginning in verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning seeking that you would show us, that you would give us a vision for what we are meant to be as a church that you would ground us in your word. Lord Jesus, we don't want to invent church for ourselves based on tradition or convenience or any, any lesser thing. We want the church as you have designed it and if you as you have given it to us in your word. And so we pray that you would open our ears and open our hearts to hear your word and that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things there. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, the, uh, the first line of this section of the statement says, we believe that a visible church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers. So let's start with this word visible. What do we mean by a visible church? Do we mean that there's invisible churches out there we might run into by accident? Like, No, this, this visible-invisible thing is a, is a distinction that theologians have often made uh, between a, a, an individual local church which we might call the visible church, and the invisible church would be, which would be all believers everywhere across time. And this is a concept that's referred to in the, in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, uh, when the writer of Hebrews is giving us a vision, uh, well, a vision of God's glory in the church, basically, and, uh, and giving us a sense of the glory of what we've come to in becoming members of, of, of the church. And he says in Hebrews 12 and verse 23, verse 23, that we have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And this word assembly is translated elsewhere, church. This is ecclesia. Church means gathering. It means assembly, a called out assembly. And so this word here is referring not to a local church, but to the church, right? Every Christian everywhere who's called on the name of the Lord Jesus. That's one way of thinking about the church. And you can't see everyone at once, right? One day we'll all be gathered around the the throne together, and the, the invisible church will be visible. We've just sung about that, right? But until that day, the invisible church is invisible. And that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the visible church which look around you here it is right here is a visible church and this is the way paul is talking about the church in first corinthians 1 where in first corinthians 1 and verse 2 he's writing to the church same word here assembly gathering to the church of god that is in corinth right this is a church in corinth and he defines what they are to those sanctified in jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our lord jesus christ he's saying i'm writing to the jesus people in corinth right i'm writing to the people jesus has called and who call on his name i'm writing to the jesus people in corinth christians and so that's the definition we see here in the statement of faith we believe that a visible church of christ is a congregation now that's literally what it means to be a church a congregation, an assembly of baptized believers. Now, we might as easily say here, a congregation of Christians, a congregation of Jesus people. Right? Here, we're being specific that this is a congregation of baptized believers. Right? Believers, because to be a Christian, you have to believe in Jesus. Right? This is what it means. It means to call in the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. And specifically, of baptized believers. Now, I'd want to clarify here It's possible to participate in some sense in the fellowship of a local church and not be baptized. But the normal pattern, both in Scripture and across church history, is that when you come to Jesus, you get baptized. That pretty much all Christians, unless you've just come to Jesus, are baptized, right? This is what it means to be a Christian, is to have come to faith in Jesus and been baptized in his name. And this is the example that we saw in in Acts 2, right, which we read earlier. Um, in Acts 2, that um, those who received the word, Acts 2.41, were baptized, right? They believe, and that very day, we put them in the water, right? Uh, and then they're added to the church, and they begin meeting together. In homes, we read about this, uh, that they're meeting together, they're breaking bread together, they're hearing the word together, they're acting like a church, right? The church at Jerusalem was founded that day, um, so we believe that a visible church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers. So look around. That's what we are, right? We're a congregation of baptized believers. And the confession goes on to say that we are associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. Associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. I don't know if anyone has ever used the two-part epoxy uh, some of them comes, actually it's like the same tube, they're like put together and there's two tubes and they meet at the, the end, right? And the, and the epoxy meets and as soon as they meet, it's going to start to harden, right? And you need both parts if it's going to stick together, right? And so the confession is saying, if the church is going to stick together, we need a two-part epoxy. And here are the two parts, covenant associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. So covenant and faith and fellowship. Um, another way of thinking about this is that faith and fellowship is the fire and the covenant is the wood stove i'll explain that in a minute so faith and fellowship we understand this i think intuitively why is it that we are stuck together as a church why is it that we hold together well it's because we share the same faith right we together have called in the name of the lord jesus and we have fellowship in the fact that we have the same savior we share the same baptism right as Paul says in Ephesians, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? We're knit together in this common faith. We're knit together in this fellowship, right? Which doesn't just mean small talk over coffee. It means fellowship in that we share together in Jesus, right? And that we're actually able to encourage one another in our walk. Fellowship in that we're encouraging each other when, we're, when we fall, right? Fellowship in that we're exhorting each other when we wander, right? Fellowship in that we rejoice together as we rejoice, it's fellowship together in Christ. That's one part of the epoxy. That's, that's the wood fire. I love a wood fire. We have a wood stove in the parsonage. And that's our main heating source in the, in the winter. I love a blazing fire in the living room. But I want the blazing fire in the wood stove. Right? <laughs> I wouldn't want a blazing fire without the structure of the wood stove. And that's sort of what we're talking about when we're talking about this idea of covenant that were associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. Now, uh, this idea of, of a covenant, um, we may not make it explicit, but actually every human organization has some kind of covenant organization, some kind of structure, right? even, even a knitting group has a kind of covenant, even if it's unspoken, right? You don't actually write it down probably. We are going to meet together and agree together to knit on Thursday mornings, right? You're not gonna make it explicit, but when someone shows up for shooting practice, right, at the knitting group, uh, and they're gonna sight in their rifle, the ladies in the knitting group are gonna say, I think you're in the wrong place, right? That's not what we're here for. You don't actually understand the, the kind of tacit agreements which surround this group. We're here for a particular reason. We want to chat and we want to knit. We're, we're not here for firearm practice. Right? Um, and it's the same for more formal covenant organizations too. right? It's, it's a marriage, right? It's maybe the most obvious form of human covenant there's two people in agreement together and there's terms, right? This is how we're going to relate to, together for better or for worse and richer for poorer. We're gonna be faithful to one another, build a family together, right? And that's all, it's all there, actually made explicit verbally in the vows. These are our covenant vows. This is how we're gonna to relate to each other. It's the same in a business, right? Business partners are gonna to relate together in, in a kind of covenantal agreement according to certain stipulations. So I would make the case that biblically the way the New Testament talks about the church, there's, there has to be certain common assumptions about the way we're going to relate together as Christians in the local church. I don't think this has to be explicit, like written down somewhere, but there are expectations written down in the word of God in terms of this is how we're going to relate together as a church. And we'll talk a little bit more about those in a minute. Um, and as a church, what we've done Uh, and this this has been the historic practice of the church, is we actually have a church covenant. It's on a piece of paper. I made some copies. If you want to look at that one, they're out back. Um, And it's it's one page, and it's basically a summary of of what Scripture teaches about our biblical responsibilities towards one another in the context of a local church. So it's making explicit what could be implicit and saying, this is what I'm committing to as a Christian here in, in, in this church body. Um, now, inevitably, any covenant, even a tacit one, even the knitting group, ends up, you end up making boundaries around the group, right? The, gu- the, the guy doing shooting practice is not part of the knitting group, right? It's, it's not, it is exclusionary in a sense, right? Uh, but not in a mean sense. It's just a way of saying, you're not actually, you're not in on what we're doing, right? And so, inevitably, in a church, if we're going to covenant together and be on the same page in terms of, this is what we're here for. Um, there ends up being a boundary, too. right? And um, again, in our church, we've made that explicit, not as a way of excluding people, but as a way of making clear who it is who's bought in and said, yes, I'm in. I, I want to be a part of this community, and, and we call this church membership. Right? So actually, I have a list of people who've said, yes, I want, to, I want to live in biblical community with these people I'm committing to this church and that's, that's church membership. Now, um, you are, anyone is more than welcome to be a part of our, our Sunday gathering and Sunday worship and not be a church member. Um, but I'd encourage you to consider it if you're, if you're an, an active part of the church and committed to this church fellowship. Um, if nothing else, because um, you're able to basically tell everyone else, I'm in, I'm committed to you. Right? It's not a lifelong commitment, it's just a way of saying, as long as I'm here, I, I want to be here for you. I'm I'm all in on using my gifts here in this church fellowship. Um, there's other structures built on top of that. We have like a church constitution. We have policies in place in terms of budget and keeping leadership accountable and all those like bylaws and things. And those structures are really helpful, right? Because you don't want the fire to burn down everything, right? <laughs> it's like churches without those kinds of structures can get weird, right? And so it's helpful to have both the fire and the structure. So I'd encourage you, uh, first, consider the value of the, those kinds of structures. Maybe read through the church covenant. Uh, and also, let's, cu- let's continue to cultivate the fire, right? Because all structure, no fire, all covenant, no faith and fellowship, isn't the church at all, right? Uh, the, 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 the structures, the covenant, is actually meant to serve uh, the, f- the faith and fellowship of the gospel here among us. Um, And one practical step you can take towards that this afternoon is to stay for five minutes after the service and talk to someone you don't know very well and ask them how you can pray for them. That's cultivating the faith and fellowship of the gospel um, among us here at Liberty. Okay, we believe that a visible church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel observing the ordinances of Christ and governed by his laws. So here we get into the question as, as to who's in charge around here. Right? And you might be led to think, well, that's probably the pastor. Or maybe that's the deacons. Or maybe that's the congregation. Or maybe that's an influential family. Right? Or maybe that's the squeaky wheel. Right? Who's in charge around here? It's Jesus. Who's the Lord of the church? Jesus the church is meant to observe the ordinances of Christ and be governed by his laws it's Christ who is the Lord of the church this idea of ordinances this refers to the Lord's Supper and baptism we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks so I'm not going to get into depth there but that's what that's referring to we observe the ordinances together and that we're governed by his laws this is a very broad statement this is referring to everything Jesus has commanded us right which is a lot, right? Yeah. He's, he's laid out this is how you do life together. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be in, in the church. Um, I want to mention a couple of a couple of things Christ has commanded us, just by way of encouragement this morning. One is in John 14. John 14, 15. You might be familiar with this verse. This is one of the verses that's footnoted in the confession by the writers of the confession, saying, This is one of the ones we have in mind. John 14, 15. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then on the heels of that, in John 15 and verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Don't she love what he does there? He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Here's my commandment, love one another. Jesus' command is love. Uh, We love because he first loved us. I highlight this commandment because in some ways, everything else in church life is meant to flow out from this. Everything else we do in obedience to Jesus as we relate together as a church body is meant to flow out of the love we have for one another, which in turn flows out of the love that Christ has shown to us. Um, Another commandment of Christ, which is again highlighted in the footnotes of this confession, is in Matthew 18. And this is a difficult one. This one has to do with with church discipline, which is a big issue, and we don't have time to treat it exhaustively this morning. Um, But uh, it's worth highlighting, if for nothing else, that actually Jesus doesn't give us a lot of commands about life in the church itself. Um, A lot of what we have in terms of how a church is supposed to operate comes from Jesus through the apostles and the apostles' letters. But this is one time that Jesus actually uses the word church. It's only a couple of times in the New Testament that out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospels comes the word church. And here's one of them. Um, It's uh, the passage beginning in uh, Matthew 18, 15, and going through verse 20. I'm not going to read the whole thing now. Um, But basically, Jesus lays out uh, how it's supposed to work if someone in the church fellowship is running from Jesus. If someone in the church fellowship is is, in a sense, running from the covenant right, and walking in sin. And, and Jesus says, well, the first thing that, that you need to commit to to do, to do with each other is if someone sins against you, you actually need to go to them and talk to them about it and have a conversation about it. And, and this is going to cut against our sensibilities just immediately, right? Because we're individualists, because we're Americans, and because we're Mainers, right? And we have this sort of Yankee self-determination. And our spirit says, I'm gonna do it my way. No one's gonna tell me what to do. I'm gonna live my life my way. And if you go poking your nose in my business, well, you better get out of there, right? Because I don't wanna hear it. And that's the manor sensibility. But that's not the New Testament picture of the church. That when we enter into life as a church, a part of what we're doing in, in terms of what the New Testament teaches is actually holding up our hand and saying, I need you guys to help me. I'm weak, I'm, more, I'm weaker than I think I am. I'm more short-sighted than I think I am. And if I'm losing my mind, I need you to help me. And if I'm wandering off in sin, I need someone to help bring me back. And so part of Jesus' command to the church, and this is countercultural, right? this is gonna push us some, is, is he says if someone's wandering in sin, you actually need to go out and encourage them and bring them back. And, and usually that's where church discipline ends, right? In most cases it's just a brother encouraging a brother, a sister encouraging a sister. Um, on a couple of occasions, people have done this for me. They've approached me and said, Ian, I think you're wrong. I think you're going down a dangerous path. I think you need to be careful here. I'm really thankful for those conversations. And I don't think the people who did that did that uh, carelessly. I think they did that with a lot of prayer and thought and say, Ian, I, I want to help you. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Right? We actually do need each other. It's a part of what we admit if we're going to actually join the fellowship of the church. We could show up on Sunday mornings and not be part of that, but we won't actually, actually be a part of the body of Christ. Right? So Jesus goes on, and and stipulates that if someone, after repeated conversations, right, first you go alone, then you bring someone else, and then you bring the rest of the church in like, you're going in a weird direction, um, that eventually uh, the the step needs to be taken to say, you're not actually living out the terms of this covenant. You've made a rifle range of this knitting group, and you can't be in the living room anymore, right? Um, And that's hard, and, in a healthy church, that should be really rare. Um, but in a healthy church, it, it has to be on the table because it's what Jesus commands us. Um, and this does push, push against our sensibilities. It is a hard thing. It's a hard thing in one instance because there's lots of instances of unhealthy church discipline. Right? Even in Maine, uh, even people in this church have shared stories of churches they've come from where it's like, Church discipline was weird. It was a tool for power in the hands of the pastor or in the hands of influential people in the church. Um, The good things of God are easily twisted and corrupted. It doesn't mean we should throw them out. It means that we need to be really careful with them. I'm thankful that in the context of our local church we have lots of good checks and balances when it comes to this question, but that is one of the commands of Christ. Um, And I think it should let us challenge... Let, I think we, my prayer is that we would let it challenge us and ask ourselves, am I coming into this fellowship thinking I'm gonna continue being an island or am I open to actually being, actually encouraged and be encouraged here? All right, well the confession goes on that a church uh, is observing the ordinances of Christ, it's governed by his laws, and that a church is exercising the gifts rights and privileges invested in them by his word. Again, this is a blanket statement. This is saying, what does the church do? Well, everything the word says that we can do, right? And here we could look to Acts 2 and see how the the people were gathering together, they were praying together, they were fellowshipping together, they were being taught by the apostles' teaching together, they are breaking bread together. Um, We can think of Paul's command uh, uh, that we, we ought to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together, making melody with our heart to God, this is, these things are uh, rights, these are gifts, these are privileges the Lord has given us. Um, this idea of gifts, I think we could hyperlink to the idea of spiritual gifts. I encourage you to read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which speaks, speaks about spiritual gifts. And it's a wonderful encouragement because basically Paul promises in First 1 Corinthians 12 that everyone who is a Christian has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And everyone who's been filled with the Holy Spirit has been gifted in order to build up the church. And that really is, is is the function of spiritual gifts, that each of us has been called and gifted to live not just for ourselves, but to serve one another in the context of a church community. And so that's really wonderful for me to think about. It's an encouragement to me because when I look around at the church, I think, God has purposely designed and called everyone here for a reason and gifted everyone here. Um, It helps me to be patient if I feel like being impatient with someone in the church, because I remember God has gifted this person, right? He's gifted this person and brought them here for a reason. He's given them strengths for other people's weaknesses, and he's given us strengths for other people's weaknesses, right? And this is good, this is how we bear with one another in the church. And it's worth asking ourselves, what do I come with in order to serve and to give to those around us, right? Do I come with a knowledge of scripture or of wisdom to be able to encourage those around me? Do I come with a gift of joy and encouragement, right? Uh, I, love, I love the really joyful Christians because I'm a morose temperament, and so it's really good for me to come to church and have people who are like joyful in Jesus every week, right? Because I need that. Um, I need to be reminded of that. Um, it's uh it 's really good that there's that there's people who are just like helps oriented that they are constantly looking around and aware of other people 's needs and and looking for how to fill those things um, it 's good that some people have the gift of administration and of organization right all of these various gifts come together it 's good that some people are really good at hammering nails right it, it's it's good that we have different gifts and abilities uh, because because together we 're actually able to form. The biblical picture is a body, right? The hands and the feet, and, and together we can operate as a whole. It's worth asking ourselves, what, how has God gifted me and called me uh, to serve in the context of his church? Uh, this section of the statement finishes by speaking about um, officers in the church. We believe that it's only scriptural officers are elders, also called bishops or pastors, and deacons, whose qualifications, claims, and duties are defined in the epistles to Timothy and Titus. So the confession here states, there's two, we find two offices in the New Testament in the church, elders and deacons. Um, and then we, we just kind of give a, a, a footnote, right? Check Titus and Timothy on this, right? And i encourage you to do that. Uh, the, Paul's letters to Titus and uh, his first and second letters to Timothy in- include quite a lot about these offices of elder and of deacon um, you can note here we 've got some synonyms elder bishop pastor uh, and in our understanding these are the same office okay and um, and biblically most Christians would ag- would agree to this um, some Christian traditions have um, uh, uh, not as a biblical command but as a um, in, in their minds as a as a helpful addition have created a third office called the bishop as an overseer of other pastors but nowhere do we see this actually laid out in scripture right so biblically we actually see these three words elder um, which is presbyteros bishop which is episkopos pastor which is poimeneos, they're used as equivalent words in the new testament so elder means means elder like old guy village village elder i think that a bishop uh, means overseer. That's literally the, the meaning. And then a pastor means means shepherd. Um, and so these three terms are all used to refer to one office, basically of spiritual responsibility and oversight in the church, responsibility to teach and encourage the saints. And then deacons. And the word deacon literally means servant. Um, and the, the deacons we see in the New Testament, they're they're busy handling money. They're busy passing out food to people who need it. Um, they're they're dealing with kind of the practical elements of church life.. Um, and so that's the distinction I would see in Scripture. Um, it's worth holding up these two offices against the offices we have as a church. Um, and here's where actually um, I, I'd like to see a little clarification and change. Um, and this is something that Deacons and I are, are agreed on and something that um, that uh, Pastor Steve had hoped to work work towards. Uh, for a long time. Uh, in our church we have a pastor, There's Pastor Steve before me, that's me now, um, in the office of elder, of pastor. Um, and then we have a, a couple of boards, a board of deacons and a board of trustees. There's a handful of other officers. We have a clerk, we have a treasurer, we have a, a collector. Um, but the two main boards in the church are the board uh, of deacons and the board of trustees. Uh, And these are, I think, confusingly named in terms of the biblical categories. So our board of deacons, there's three men on the board of deacons, Kevin Coffin, Fred Williams, and Dean Bartlett. Um, And these three men constitutionally are charged with the responsibility of spiritual oversight. Spiritual oversight, I think that's the exact language from the Constitution, which oversight, that literally means, if we're talking biblical language, that's bishop, that's overseer. So we're talking elder language here. So our board of deacons functionally serves as a board of elders, and that's how Pastor Steve treated them. That's how I treat the board of deacons. Um, I I treat them as as peers in terms of spiritually shepherding the church. This is something I really appreciate about our church um, is that there's checks and balances. Often the deacons and I are in agreement, totally, and I'll bring something and say, hey, I want to try this out, we talk it over and they say, yeah, let's do it. But it's happened occasionally where I'll, I'll come in sort of hot-headed and say, this is what we should do. And, and the guys will say, ah, I don't know. And have told me no. I think it's really healthy. I think that's the way the church is supposed to work. Um, and even in terms of the biblical model, when we hear about elders being appointed in a church, it's almost always in the plural. Right? We're talking about a plurality of elders, so it's not just one guy. Um, that's really important, I think. So in any case, um, something that I th- uh, that we're hoping to move towards, perhaps in connection with adopting a statement of faith, is is simply to change the titles uh, uh, of elder and deacon. Right, so the, we would call the board of deacons a board of elders. We call the board of deacon board of trustees a board of deacons, um, because those words I think are more in keeping with the responsibilities given to those offices in the Word of God, and that wouldn't come with changes in terms of actual responsibilities or the language of authority in the Constitution, that'd be a title change. Um, And so we can talk more about that in the coming months, but uh, just to to keep that in mind there. Well, I've thrown a lot at you this morning. (laughs) There's a lot of information. We've got a lot of scriptural passages. This might not be the most exciting stuff to talk about, but I really think it is important that we have an understanding of what is the church, how do we define it, and what is our purpose, what are we doing, who is our Lord, right, who is Jesus, how are we structured, and why. It's, it's worth thinking through these things together. And, um, and just in terms of closing, I wanted to share, I am, I am just so grateful for this church for so many reasons. I'm so grateful I'm grateful that as I'm as going through this and thinking about the law of love and thinking about the, the love that is just so consistently shared and poured out among brothers and sisters here, it's just so encouraging, right? Um, both in, in concrete ways and in, in prayer. Um, I'm, I'm really glad to be a part of this church. Um, and uh, occasionally when, when I've had pulpit supply, Miranda and I have gone somewhere else to worship on Sunday morning when I haven't had to preach here. Which is fine. I like to visit other churches. There's nothing wrong with visiting other churches. But uh, in the past month, and I've had a couple of weeks away, we've come back for Sunday. Uh, And in some ways, that's because it's easier to go here than another church. But also, when I go somewhere else, even for a week, I miss you guys. Right? Really thankful for you, and really thankful for your fellowship and your encouragement and your love. Uh, And uh, we love you guys. So. Thanks for being in this church with us. Um, It really is a a joy to be here and uh, a joy to see the Lord at work among us. Um. (laughs) So let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we're so thankful for the gift of the visible church, of the local church, and we're so glad to be planted here in Liberty. And I uh, thank you, Lord, for these brothers and sisters. And I pray that you'd be encouraging us day by day and month by month that we'd, uh, that we'd share, grow, Lord, in the, in the faith and the fellowship that we share, that we'd be knit together in our love for you, Lord Jesus, that we'd understand the, the covenant bonds which bind us and which you have brought us into. And we pray, Lord, that, uh, uh, that for the rest of our lives as Christians, whether it be here or wherever you plant us, Uh, that we would be people who love the local church and who are excited about being a part and serving and having our gifts be used, Lord, that we would be glad to raise our hands and say, we need each other, Uh, Lord. And uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, you just continue to knit knit us together and give us a spirit of love and of unity uh, with one another, that, Lord Jesus, you would continue to be glorified in our fellowship as we seek to make more disciples for you and to see them baptized and and that we would all be raised up in our knowledge of uh, of your commandments and our obedience to you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We we long for that day. We look forward to that day when we will join that everlasting song and worship uh, with all the saints around your throne. We look forward to that day when we will see you face to face. Until then, Lord, we ask that you'd fill our hearts with the song of the gospel. Send us out of here with your love. We thank you, Lord Jesus. For all you've done for us and we pray lord that even as you have loved us in christ that you'd fill our hearts with love to overflow into the love of of our neighbors this week we pray all these things in jesus precious name amen all right let's stand together and sing sing the doxology it's on the back of the bulletin praise god from blessings flow. Pray. Bring-